Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast. Yes, that is correct. We actually have a name now. This is the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist, an IT project manager, comic book enthusiast, an outdoor guy who is actually getting out into the outdoors a lot more these days. And I am David. I'm a father, coder, gamer, woodworker, and guy with too many hobbies he likes to pursue. And we do like to talk about our hobbies. A lot. (laughs) That's why this show is here. Exactly. Yeah, after this is episode technically episode four that you guys will hear. We have a couple, as we said before in a previous podcast, there are some unaired podcasts. So, But we haven't actually recorded in a couple of weeks, thanks to Ken's vacation. But you won't notice Indeed. that because we're putting several in the can before we release them. So Just just like they skipped forward in time, they got to skip over those couple of weeks to That's, arrive. Now is now, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, that is that is the nice thing about podcasting is uh, it, it syncs to whatever time you were on. Unfortunately, I'm still stuck in time uh, from a couple of weeks ago. So I've been, as we talked about in a previous podcast, uh, I'm currently doing a 10K training program. And I got to week three, no, wait, sorry, week four of the training program. And uh, <laughs> a couple things happened. So first of all, I blew out a sneaker Ooh, um, for the I, second wait, time. How do you blow out a sneaker? Well, I guess that's maybe overly dramatic. I ripped the sneaker down the side. Ouch. Okay. So the, okay. Where, this, where the fabric joins with the sole of the sneaker, I ripped that. Yeah. And so... My previous, and so I, I use Hoka running sneakers. Um, so uh, some of the backstory that I've alluded to before, several years ago, I broke my ankle, recovered from breaking my ankle. Now I have to run with soles that are probably about two inches thick because it's nice extra padding um, to goes easy on my ankle. So I have these great shoes, great running sneakers. And so I bought a pair when I started running again and I use them quite a lot. I ran a couple hundred miles probably with them. And then I'm still overall still new to running. And so it did not occur to me that you that sneakers have a lifespan, right? You 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 run. Apparently, people have now told me, you know, you run for four to six hundred miles, and you should get a new pair of sneakers. Like, okay, because my previous pair had ripped after that amount of time, that amount of mileage, basically. And so, I got a new pair of sneakers back in February, and then in July, <laughs> I did the the same sort of rip on my sneaker. So mm. I don't blame the sneaker. I blame me because I think after the second time it happened, I'm like, huh, that it, it's happened again. And I'm like, what, how it must, I must be doing something here. And so I think, I think that if my kids had been doing this, I would have been all over them, <laughs> but I was doing it. So I didn't realize I was doing it. I was just popping my sneakers off when I came home from running. I wasn't unlacing them. Got it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I think what was happening is over time, I mean, these are, these are running shoes, not tear off your feet shoes. Right. And so they're not breakaway sneakers, or at least they shouldn't be. Right. So I think what was happening is, is that I was just like coming home, collapsing and like slipping off the sneakers. Well, not really slipping off the sneakers because they were still tied. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that probably is what did it. So um, Hoka does offer a warranty for like a one-year warranty. So I'm thinking this is on me, but I'm documenting it this time. So I'm very conscientiously making sure that I am taking my sneakers off correctly. Got it. Um, so lessons learned. <laughs> yeah. Although you were saying, you know, and we'll get, uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but like I'm walking more, you're saying running shoes wear out after three or 400 miles, which is just inconceivable to me. And it's, Probably not very long, but it sounds like it yeah. would take years to get to that point. And I wear out wear, wear out my sneakers well before several years. So, so uh, I I don't know. Three or four hundred miles sounds like a heck of a lot to run. 
It is. And I think, you know, it, it, although it adds up over time. So I was running when I was training for doing a 10K, I was running, I'm sorry, running, training for doing the 5K after recovering from breaking my ankle. Um, that was like six miles a week for eight weeks. You know, it, it, it adds up and then just continuing running after that. And now doing the 10K, now I'm up to more like five to six miles a session, you know, three times a week. So it adds doesn't up fast. It, it adds up pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so that, that was one of my things and that happened just before I went on vacation. And then also kind of, I get, I think the thing that I've, I learned when I was doing the, the 5k training, and I think this is applicable to any time you're doing exercise is like your body is going to give you signs that maybe you're trying too hard and you need to listen to your body because, especially if I may say at our age, um, cause otherwise you're going to hurt yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I got to this point, both in the 5k where I feel like, you know what, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to hurt myself. If I keep going, I should pause and then like repeat week four. And so that's right. where I'm at right now is I'm doing a little bit of groundhogs day. I took a break. I start until I was getting to like five to six miles and feeling pretty good. And then different things started to hurt. <laughs> I'm like, okay, something's off here. So I've taken a step back. I'm working on my form. And kind of like got the new sneakers, breaking them in and kind of kind of easing back in. So, yeah, at, at our age, our bo bodies tend to complain more loudly than they do in our, you know, teens, 20s and even early 30s. I mean, I like to joke that it's all original. It was it was all original equipment before I broke my ankle. But like because I never used it because I never did any exercise until I hit my 40s. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's one of the things. And I'm also looking to get into cycling. Um, Cool. I, had, I bought last year, my bike almost literally disintegrated underneath me while on a bike ride. I mean, it was mm. just, it was a death trap on wheels. Um, and so I got a new bike last year and I was using that to commute to work. I have a, it's not like it's a super long commute. It's like a mile and a half uh, downtown. Um, and so I was riding a fair amount each week, but really just kind of getting to and from my day job. And then obviously in the COVID-19 world, I'm working from home. So that's no longer a challenge or no longer a thing I can do. So now I'm looking at using cycling as a way of kind of complementing running because there's only so much running you can do in a week. Right. And, uh, biking is, but cycling is more kinder and gentler to my ankle. <laughs> I, I like biking. I like biking. Sorry. I like the word biking. Yeah. Bikling. Yeah. That's the there advanced version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a few things to learn. Cause so, uh, one of the things is cycling shoes. Apparently this is a thing. Like I have, I have cycled in my life. And I've cycled quite a lot sometimes. Like, you know, when I was younger, that was really the sport that I enjoyed. Sport exercise that I enjoyed. And it was actually mm -hmm. competitive or anything. But it never really occurred to me that, you know, there are actually cycling shoes and they can improve your ride. So that's a thing I'm researching right now. Now, I know a little bit about cycling shoes just from some friends of mine who, who did cycle. They never got into it professionally, but they were really into cycling. I'm not sure why they didn't compete. They had like cycling shoes and special pedals that their shoes would clip into. I don't know if that's yes. the type of cycling shoe you're talking about. That's what I've been thinking about. Like I've been talking with friends who, who cycle and have more experience in this than I do. And, and same thing with running, right? Like I talk to people who actually know what they're doing instead of trying to figure it out mm -hmm. <laughs> all on my own. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking at um, like maybe graduating to clip in shoes. So there's shoes you can get that basically they're, a cycling shoe has a flatter, firmer bottom. I guess oh, okay. They, okay. It's a firmer, more solid bottom, um, so you can apply pressure evenly. And then when you clip in, you it allows up, you. Yeah, from you what can I pull understand, up, right? Yeah, 
Okay. And so, I mean, honestly, just as a, it's like a, I don't know, this is kind of like a paranoid concern, I suppose. My biggest concern with the clip-ins is figuring out how to clip out. Yeah, that was that was the thing that I was concerned about when I was hearing about that as well. It's like, what happens if you fall over? But evidently, it's just like a quick twist, and it's and it pops yes. out. So it's yeah, I mean, not I'm not supposed the world's to, most coordinated person. <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to hold. It's not like like when I first heard about it, I thought about like uh, downhill or cross country skiing, where your boots were effectively attached to the skis, um, and there you know there is a quick release. But not like as you're crashing, quick release, you know. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know. Whereas the cycles, it, cycling, it sounds like those were that was taken into account because you don't want to be still attached to your bike as it's falling over. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So that's the thing I'm researching. I'm also so I'm I my continuing work on my summer reading list. So I, I I knocked out a bunch of books while I was on vacation, which was very satisfying and exceedingly relaxing. I recommend it for anyone. Um, and so I'm currently working on David Brin's The Ancient Ones, which is his first comedy science fiction novel. He's best known, I think, for his Uplift trilogy, Star Tide Rising. Yeah, um, <laughs> not comedy is is what well, I heard. You know, and he's like, uh, yeah, and he's like, you know, he's got an interest in political science, and he writes a lot of kind of thought pieces and what have you. And so, yeah. David Brin and uh, you know, humor are not two things that I would have thought. Not that David Brin can't be a funny guy. It's just right. It's, it's just reading it. Work. <laughs> yeah, I would not have expected you to say this is his comedy science fiction novel. You know, those those words and David Brin did not, in my mind, ever cross. Right. So he's he's the novel is uh, is riffing on Star Trek, um, and so it, the, cool. the ancient ones in the book are actually us, humanity, and we are kind of the elder species that is kind of taking on like the Vulcan role to this young upstart species that is you know they got starships and they're just going barging all over the galaxy so it's a little bit of role reversal from your traditional huh. you know humans are always the new kids on the block right 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 so i'm it's a short novel i think it, i don't know how many words it is but just judging from what it looks like on my kindle um it looks closer to novella length than it is like full-on like epic science fiction novel length um so i think i'm gonna knock out that one pretty quickly and then i'm looking at i'm not sure we're gonna read next uh, I might read Extension, which I believe I talked about earlier by, uh, and I can never pronounce his first name correctly, but Ion Banks. Ion Banks? Ian Banks? You still pronounce it Ian? Uh, I'm not sure. It's one of those things you never actually say aloud. Yeah. And as previous established, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. But in any case, <laughs> he has these great series of novels that are set in the culture, which is about this post-scarcity science fiction um, galactic commonwealth, basically. And they, they've solved all of the social problems. And... Uh, it's about their interactions with the larger galaxy whom don't always look kindly on uh, the culture coming in and trying to solve their problems for them or the engagement with the culture. So that's, that's one book and it's part of a, a longer series. And then the other one I'm looking at, and I'm, I'm super excited to read it because it's the latest book in the Salvager series by Alex White. It's called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. And this book surprised me a couple of years ago when I read the first one because it's a mashup of space opera and magic. So you've okay. got people with, you know, they're, they're casting spells to raise shields around their starfighters. I've, I've heard of Alex White before. Is he the Angry Robot books? No, not Angry Robot. What, do you know what the publisher is? Happen to know what the publisher I is? do not. I'm sure Google could tell us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the first of his books that I've actually read. Um, and so I, I have to say, I, I had this moment when I was reading the first one when I thought, 
what the heck have I gotten myself into? Because <laughs> right? I was I was expecting space opera, and now I've got something else entirely. Um, it's by Orbit Books. Okay, so he let's see. I thought I thought he had written some books that I had read years ago, but it's not the same guy. Yeah, I mean, based on his bibliography, he had written Every Mountain Made Low by published by Solaris in 2016, and Alien: The Cold Forge, which is a, an Alien franchise tie-in from published by Titan in 2018. Um, the first book in the series that I alluded to earlier is A Big Ship at the End of the Universe, oh. published by Orbit. Okay, no, he so- did write stuff but it's not listed there i did find it on goodreads uh he did the gear heart wikipedia was wrong <laughs> wikipedia is incomplete uh he did the gear heart which was also a podcast and that's where i oh, okay it from um and that was a ways back gotcha so they're very enjoyable books i definitely recommend them uh to me it's kind of like this is like the the chocolate sundae with cherries on top of my summer reading list. I've been looking forward to this one all summer and I kept thinking I was going to read this one next and the thing didn't <laughs> drop at the end of July. Oh so, no. You know, I was coming up with my list of books to read on vacation. I'm like, Oh, well obviously I'm going to read the worst of all possible worlds. Oh no, it's not no, coming out until not yet. July. So. Yep. Yep. So I think I may, this may be, and, and not to in any way, imply that the culture novels are um the spinach on my reading list but they are meaty books like they're 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 good thoughtful books that they're work to get through but they're a good kind of work cool um and the worst of all possible worlds is just yeah i'm gonna take this to the beach (laughs) you know or i'm gonna take this on like you know a camp out or something and read right Um, right so uh other things that happened over the last couple of weeks so i got uh mythic odysseys of theros um Oh, cool! This is the latest source book by uh, for but, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, published yeah, by Wizards of the Coast. Okay, uh, fifth edition. Um, it's for the Theros uh, world from Magic: The Gathering. It is inspired by Greek mythology, and uh, that just kind of hits a lot of. I'm not all that up on on Magic: The Gathering. I've played, but I don't know a lot about the actual world. But just reading some of the previews on Twitter, um, I just it started giving me wanting me to scratch this giving me an itch to scratch that I didn't know I had, which was to run like a clash of the Titans style game. Cool. Very cool. Right. And draw kind of like, cause it's all about, they actually have rules in here for how the gods interact with the world. And there's like a piety stat where the higher your piety is, the greater boons you get from your God. So it's very much meant to be kind of like a Zeus comes down and says, Hey, do this thing for me. Or Zeus comes down nice. and says, you pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, there's another game that you would might be interested in as well it is by the same publisher and game designer that of the game that i'm about going to talk about a little bit later but the game is hellas adventures in the wine dark void and that game is uh set like imagine the aegean sea with you know the the spartans and uh Troy, et cetera, et cetera, and all the all the gods, but blown up on a galactic scale. Oh, nice. And so instead of sailing ships through across the ocean, you sail ships and you sink down into this subspace sort of area uh, as you go deeper it like out into the ocean, basically. Um, but that's how you get to places faster as you go. You're not in normal space. You sink into this subspace. The deeper you go, the more toward the underworld you get. 
Right. It's very much a 300 sort of-esque, the Battles of Troy and Iliad and the Odyssey. Those sorts of stories are meant to be told there. If you play a campaign, it's not meant to, you're not meant to, the character you start with is not going to be the character you end with. Um, But there will be a through line from your first character to the end character. So uh, if your first character dies, maybe your son comes out to you know take up arms and continue your legacy or if you fall on the battlefield and you have no heirs you know your your spearman picks up your spear and continues continues the battles um and such and so there's basically a through line all the way through and you get some of the glory from the previous character for your next character and the more glory you have the more of those sorts of you know calling upon the deities or the fates or anything like that that you can do for for special abilities or special powers. Wow, that's that sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to look at that one. Um, and so the last thing I have, it hasn't actually arrived yet. I ordered Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Um, and so this is uh, either an exp- it, it is both an expansion to Gloomhaven, which is, as I understand it, like the one of the most complicated board games ever made. Um, it, it is huge. And it's, and it's also a standalone. Right. Yes. And so this is meant to be an easier, faster, some might say kinder, gentler version of the base game. Um, instead of having all kinds of tiles you have to assemble, there's a flip book where you just open up to the next scenario and you use the flip book as the map. Um, and yeah. so I, I got it because my son's been itching to play Dungeons and Dragons. We got in some of that over vacation, which was really nice. Cool. Um, but I thought given the ongoing state of the world and us just not getting out and being able to game as much as we would like, I thought this might be a cool like late fall winter we're trapped inside on a saturday let's break out the you know jaws of the lion and play it so we'll see and if we like it we can get gloomhaven yeah let me know because i've I've heard it called gloomhaven light but in a good way like there's gloomhaven like like you were saying they've got a lot of tiles and such um there's a lot of setup if you want to play all the aspects and all the layers of gloomhaven um and it seems like they they learned from all of that and boiled it down so it's like we know there are people out there that that don't want to spend an hour just setting up the game and don't have a right. a $2000 specialized gaming table so that they can just put a cover on top of it so they don't have to break it down between sessions so right. you know you flip open the book and there's your map um and you put everything on it um and from what i understand it 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 plays pretty much the same, but uh, and it can be pretty complex in certain spots. Uh, you know, there's a lot of layers still, but they've right. they've distilled all that from the Gloomhaven um, and made improvements, from what I understand, which sounds really cool. Um, and yeah. they still have so, some of the cool stuff like opening boxes and stuff like that. Yes. Of like, don't open this until you are told to, and be surprised, which is always pretty right. cool. Right, right. And as we discussed previously, I have Pandemic Legacy, but that seems like it's a little bit too much on the nose right now. So this would be my substitute <laughs> for Pandemic Legacy. Because, uh, you know, maybe that was my mistake. Maybe I opened the box and yep. I shouldn't have opened the box. Yep. But, but you don't know. So uh, what you what have you been up to? So uh, I'm going to go in kind of the similar order that you did. Uh, I've been exercising. Um, last couple of days, it's been really hot and humid, so I have not been walking as much as I had been, but still have been attempting to do at least twice a day. 
I've been feeling better doing it. It's been too hot for me to really start the run side of things. Um, but as the temperatures cool off, I'm going to try and uh, start that and then hopefully not stop, you know, get my treadmill fixed and not stop over the winter. And maybe I'll be able to catch up with you and do maybe a 5K by the end of the year. You know, I, yeah, I think that that's a, that's, uh, it's very familiar. I mean, that was, I went for a run today and I was hoping to go for three miles and I mm -hmm. made it for two because I feel like I just, I ran into like this wall of humidity yes. and heat. And yes. I don't think our climate is that much different from yours right now. It's just, it's, it was, the, the thermometer said it was in the high 80s, but it felt mm -hmm. like it was in like the hundreds, just yes. like swimming through humidity. So, yep. Yeah, that's I exactly how it feels here. <laughs> I feel your sweat. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any walking yet today. Um, afterward, I will probably will. But I was out in the garage uh, workshop cleaning and making a bunch of shop furniture. Took an old furnace blower fan and motor and wired it up to a cord. And so I have it now in part in one of the new drill pest stand. And so now I can turn it on and actually get airflow in the garage. <laughs> So always uh, important. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that'll be nice going on from that to uh, my reading list, much shorter than yours, unfortunately, actually, but I'm going to add some more on there. Uh, I finished peace talks. It released July 14th and I think I was done with it. July 15th, <laughs> um, maybe 16th. Um, it was good. It felt really short to me. Uh, but then again, some Dresden Files novels just go really fast and do feel really short. But it felt a lot more, because there, there's another Dresden Files novel dropping before the end of this year. Oh, wow. And so it feels like, Peace Talk feels a lot like it's the setup for the next book. And there is, I mean, there is a constant storyline through all of these novels so far, and there's, there's a lot. Um, but it just felt, it didn't feel like filler, but it felt like here's all the stuff that we needed to set up in order for the next novel to actually accomplish. It didn't feel like there was a lot of character growth, I guess is what I was, what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. Just kind of like catching up everybody. It's like, Hey, there was like a two plus year hiatus between novels and let's catch everybody up. Even though you might've read all of them. It was still good, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the next one later this year. And I'm I had paused reading The Color of Magic, which is the first Discworld novel by Terry Pratchett. I'm still reading it. I'm about seventy percent of the way through. If the Kindle says if the Kindle's correct, <laughs> it's definitely his first novel. Even he said, you know, don't start with Disc with Color of Magic first. And I think it's one of those things where it's like. It's still good, but he gets better. And so here I am after having read probably eight Discworld novels and then jumping back to the very first one and going, oh, yeah, I see why he says don't don't read this one first. You, you have to kind of love it to really to really work your way through it. But it's still good. It is still good. It is definitely a Discworld novel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did the opposite. I, that was the book I started with, and that mm -hmm. is the only one I've read, probably for the reasons you just gave. Okay. I mean, and I know I should go back, and I know Terry Pratchett is good, and we've talked about him before. And yep. so I really just need to do the thing where you pick, like, because there's so many of them, right? And and there's any number of different suggestions for where to, to start. It's just yeah. don't start here. If I had asked anyone who said don't start here. <laughs> Your friend and mine, uh, Dr. John Schmar, he's he pointed out that, hey, there's this 
start with probably the guards series. And he also pointed me to a really good suggested reading order where you can kind of pick and choose where you want to, to do, but it also shows you which plot lines and which characters are in each book. It's writing about a world. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different areas. I'd suggest go to library and pick up guards, guards. That's where I started. And I just fell in love with it. And it was really quite good. I would try Discworld again and, and, and go with guards, guards as your, as, as your next read. Um, if you're interested in fantasy comedy. Yeah. I, yeah, I think once I get into, uh, I mean, comedy in, in fiction form can be such hit or miss. And I think part of yeah. that is, you know, I read the Hitchhiker's Guide first and it sets such, set such a high standard for yes humor, I think. Um, and the wordplay in there is fantastic and all the different iterations of Hitchhiker's have, have been really fun. And so I, I haven't found that many novels that actually still hit that same, that are, are quite as good. And so it kind of turns me off when I don't read one that's quite as funny, which is part of the challenge with the David Print book. Yes, yes. <laughs> Although it is amusing. It is definitely amusing. I don't know that it's funny. Got it. Got it. Uh, on to gaming. Unfortunately, I'm now going on no regular Sunday game for six weeks in a row now. It keeps falling through for one reason or another. Uh, a lot of reason being it's summer and people don't want to be stuck inside on a Sunday. It seems like we get about a third of the group in size. And that's just not quite enough to even play. The group that had started the Gamma World Hex Crawl was only two and then three people, but it's two of those three people are the ones that are not able to show up. So it's it's one of those things where we just haven't been able to play. So hopefully this next weekend, we'll cross my fingers. And I think we're going to be back to 5th edition D&D. So with uh, our other GM, so... And that's like the whole group, including families and stuff like that. So I did manage to play uh, uh, on the Saturday before a game of Atlantis, the second age um, again by uh, the same people who I was talking about who made Hellas. It's by Capera publishing uh, and Jerry Grayson is the primary designer on it. It's uh, Jerry describes it as Basically, on the on the site, there's a picture of a Michael Michael Moorcock, Elric of Melnabone book, and then plus Conan of Samaria book plus a D twenty is Atlantis the Second Age, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. We had a really good small group. You can even see the characters in the download section on the on their on the Atlantis site. You can even see the characters we played. I played a character called Rygar, who was like a beast man who was part lion. We had a a gin and then we had a human. It was an amazing adventure. It was, it was a lot of fun. None of us had really, you know, I knew Jerry and everybody knew Jerry, uh, but none of the players knew each other. It was one of those groups that just gelled and it felt like a a really good convention game. Uh, You gotta love those. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was short. It was about two hours, I think. Um, And it felt like we got a lot of time. Yes. Yeah. Atlantis is its own hardcover book. It's a pretty decent size. It's set in Atlantis. It has, it very much has a feel of like the Conan sort of ancient, ancient world. One of the things it says is it's based on the classic Atlantean trilogy by Bard Games, um, which I'm not familiar with. It is a very sword and sorcery game that's like Fritz Leiber. Uh, Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard, Clark Aston Smith, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and the and the game system is very 
straightforward and quick to play. Basically, you have stats and you have skills and you add those things together usually and you roll a d20 and uh, you're going to subtract your enemy's defense from it. And then if you're like 11 or above, that's a, fu- a full success uh, that you you hit. You know, if, if it's 20 or above, then that's a critical. If it's 10 or less, that's a partial success. And I think if it's under 7, that's a failure. If it's one or or less than one, like if you're <laughs> not not good at all, uh, it's a critical failure. Um, so basically, you're just rolling one d twenty and no other dice. There, you just have one d twenty and you're done. You know, all the damage and everything like that depends upon how well you succeed. Wow! So the play goes pretty fast. If you want to go in and and do a flurry of blows and like strike at three different people. Basically, every action after the first action is a minus five. So if you've got a good, you know, like like my character, Rygar, for his armed combat had a plus 15. And then plus his, uh, uh, I think it was dexterity or something. He had, he had another plus four because of his stat. So, you know, if I was going up against a bunch of mooks or, you know, a bunch of low, you know, piddly little things, then... I could have done three attacks and and had a greater than even chance of of succeeding in all of them. I like the system; it plays well. It's very similar to uh, the other systems that that um, Capera puts out as well. So um, I recommend it. It's it's a fun game if you want to play in that sort of setting. Very cool. The other, the last thing, which is a shared thing between you and I, is. Yes. Yes. The zine of really wondrous power, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, so we have the zine of wondrous power, uh, High Moon Press. High Moon, yeah, High Moon Press. Uh, our friend Daniel Perez, we've known him. He's a, a former podcaster as well uh, and game designer. Um, I backed the Kickstarter. I think you you probably backed the Kickstarter since you have a physical I copy did. as well. I did. Uh, I'm looking for. I just got these. I got them yesterday. I opened the package today, so I have yet to read read them. Um, I did read the first issue, so I have two copies of the first issue, um, and it was good. Um, but uh, it's basically it's a zine. It's a gaming zine about um, at, from his website of exploring, playing, design, creation, and discussion of role playing games. It features short essays, small games. New rules, settings, fiction, and ideas. It's Daniel, so I know he produces some good stuff. So I, w- I wanted to pick it up. So uh, looking forward to digging into that. Yeah, and I'm, uh, the, the current one is the, the Ion Codex, and so it's all about Ion Stones, and, yes. which I love. That- and uh, you know, Daniel talks about his love for for Ion Stones, and I think this would be perfect for my weird uh, fantasy science fiction lunchtime campaign campaign that I'm running. Oh yeah. So you know, yeah. who doesn't love a stone? swirling around your head i mean since it's fantasy science fiction it could be either magic or or some sort of super science you know exactly exactly and they kind of have fun figuring out which one it is yeah yeah uh i remember when uh uh i first discovered ion stones in when you know way back what first edition ad and d i think they became a fixture in my game for probably six or nine months they were the thing 
Yeah, I mean, as I think Daniel, as Daniel alludes to, yeah. as Daniel alludes to, uh, like they're cool, but they're they're kind of weird, right? Like, yeah, you have this rock and it's magical and it gives you powers, but it it's circling around your head. Yes, it orbits around you, so it's <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah, you you expect someone with a butterfly net to come up and just snag it. <laughs> Yeah, so I have one other group topic sort of thing uh, that did, it didn't fit anywhere else uh, that I'm labeling other geekery. I've been updating my Plex home library uh, with uh, a bunch of DVDs that I had kind of I'm I'm had pulled out of storage and realized oh I don't have these on my Plex anymore. Um, so I've been I've rewatched the first two seasons of legend of Korra. Cause those were the ones that I have on DVD and I watched the first couple episodes. And I think I'm actually going to really watch the, the series, the, the episodes of the series that I have of brimstone. I don't know if you've ever, do you, did you ever see brimstone? You might have, it was kind of forgettable, which is probably why it was canceled, but it's got some really good ideas for gaming. And I was thinking about taking that, those ideas and pulling it into the werewolf game that I run. Um, oh, that, okay. that, that we switch out. Um, the idea is, is that there was a cop whose, uh, whose wife was raped. She, he tracks down the perpetrator and kills him and goes to hell at, shortly thereafter because he's killed later. Basically there's a jailbreak in hell and Lucifer has tapped the main character since he's really kind of a good guy but he killed someone and that's why he's in hell. So he sends him back to send back all of the demons, all of the people who had escaped from hell. Is this an animated series or is it a live action? This series? is a live action series. I may have, this is ringing some bells for me, but they are different bells. <laughs> the main character has like hundreds of tattoos all over his body. As he sends one of these people back to hell, the tattoo dissolves off of his body. It's interesting. It's it's pretty cool. I like uh, I like the premise. Um, it kind of comes to like a like a Friday the Thirteenth the series or Warehouse Thirteen. Who who are we chasing after this week? You know, it's it's a very Monster of the Week sort of thing. I should run just Monster of the Week and just have it be that. <laughs> um, but I rediscovered it. I was going through the DVDs and I was like, oh yeah, this would be a good good concept for you know the werewolf game. I also rewatched Conan the Barbarian, definitely into the the Conan vibe there, uh, and then rewatched Thundar the Barbarian, which is the Saturday morning cartoon show. So how was it? How was it, David? I've watched like parts of a couple of episodes as I was moving through them, um, gotcha. but I, I do <laughs> intend to watch them uh, fully. I remember them being quite cheesy in a couple spots. You know, I was really young when they when it came out, but I still has, especially since I'm running the Gamma World game. You know, Thundar and Gamma World are just they're just two peas in the same pod, and oh, yes. uh, really want to kind of pull out the Thundar vibe in the Gamma World game. So I'm I'm definitely going to be rewatching that series. I love the idea of Thundar, but Thundar kind of falls into this class of things that I watched as a kid that I loved so much that I know if I go back and watch it. I'm not, yeah. I, I may not love it, it as much. It won't the original Galactica is the same, right? Like, yeah. I, I remember it. I have fuzzy golden memories of Battlestar Galactica. 
I know it's going to happen if I watch it again. <laughs> a couple of people, I had run a like a vampire game back in college, and several of the people in our group were in that game and were like, hey, I want to run vampire. And it's like, I'm not really in the headspace for vampire anymore. Um, not that, you know, that sort of place. Um, and so the suggestion was for werewolf. Um, and I was like, I can probably do werewolf. And this was before the group got a little bit bigger. And one of the other guys was, and, and so some of the people in werewolf are not in that group. So I, this is the, why we play different games on Saturday on the Sundays. Gotcha. So that group is D and D. Um, then there's werewolf. And then when almost nobody can show up, uh, that's when we play game world. How do you achieve a consensus? You know, you're already past the, how do you discuss it? Which is you just talk about it, you know, um, that's <laughs> that. And unfortunately, sometimes that just really needs to be said because, you know, not everybody thinks of, oh, we should just talk as a group about it, you know, rather than someone coming in and saying, I'm running this. And then people are like, I don't really want to run that. And like some people might ghost the group or do it or, or worse, just begrudgingly do it and try and sabotage the game. Cause that's not the game they really want to play. And even if they're doing it unconsciously, it's not good. Right. You know, so talking about it is definitely the, the first thing I've done polling. Uh, you, you've listed in our, in our notes here that of like, what do you do with a polling? Um, but, I don't know your group as well, but like sometimes it's hard to get people to respond. <laughs> you know, if you're all in the same room, you can all talk about it and, and right. come to a consensus. But nowadays we can't do that. And so right. how do you do that? Like, how, how are you, how have you guys handled it so far? So we've actually, we've handled it a couple of different ways over the years. And so, um, and, and polling, I think worked best when we were doing, uh, when it was doing for Newcomb con, which was, that's our homegrown con. And so this is, there's 20 games we could play. Everybody gets five votes, whichever the top five vote getters of the games we're going to, to figure out how to, to schedule for the weekend. Right. Cool. And so you could do that. You could say, okay, well, here's the big list of games. Um, and, and everybody gets five votes, three votes or whatever. The top vote getter is the one that we're going to play. Um, the, the challenge with that. And I don't, mean this in the wrong way and in the in necessarily a bad way but you can get to kind of it's the lowest common denominator across the entire group and so mm -hmm. it may be that everyone is willing to play dungeon and dragons i love D D. don't get so me everybody wrong. puts a but, vote there but everyone puts a vote there because they're willing to do it and so then it. other things like say savage worlds or call of cthulhu or this cool new game that somebody's got on their shelf but you know they've wanted to play for 20 years but never got off uh, and never, never actually was able to play that game like that ends up getting less votes right and or not even getting any votes at all and so i think the polling might actually help inform a conversation but i don't know that it's a great deciding factor mm -hmm. in this case because of that sort of unless you say like whatever the top voter vote getter is we're going to ignore <laughs> so so i think uh so there's two things um like you your group was definitely incentivized to vote you know like they oh like, yes we did not have that problem everybody right. will participate you know and, and sometimes it's a problem just you know like getting a, a response back on time even for like when do you want to meet you know it's like sometimes sometimes that's hard to do if you don't have the the incentive to vote uh as being an issue 
you're talking about having a certain number of votes and then the highest number gets it reminded me of how like the UK or England uh like votes in some of the members of like I think it's the House of Parliament where you where everybody votes for their top candidate and they eliminate people. So it's not like right. whoever gets the highest vote, it's like here you know we're going to take x number of people like five of the of the of the people running and then um you get to vote for like here's my first choice here's my second choice here's my third choice so your vote will always count unlike here in the states where if you vote for a third party candidate you know that most of the time is throwing your vote away Right. Because you're never because it's not it's not like if your guy didn't win. Like, yes, exactly. So but in the UK, you know, in that system, your vote will always count. Um, you know, so so you can vote for the third party candidate. If they don't make it, then your second person or your third person, your that vote, your vote will still go toward that. That might be an interesting thing to look up. You might get to a better result than, oh, we're playing D&D again. <laughs> Right. And so I think part of it, too, is and, and in this case, we're, we're not even sure what like we don't know what system we want to play. We don't which, we think we might we know what genre we want to play. We think we probably want to play science fiction. Um, but we don't know what kind of science fiction we want to play. So I could see polling taking a place, taking the on a role of basically seeding the larger conversation. Right. This is the initial like, OK, this is where we as a group, this is kind of where our collective headspace is. And then and that helps with the conversation and then the conversation. Um, like right now we have basically two options. We have an ongoing forum that we've had for many years. It's a web-based forum. People could come in and post. And that's where I initially started this conversation, right? So I, I threw it out there and this is where some of the initial ideas and brainstorming came in. Um, but forum threads are hard. Uh, in the olden days when we were, had fewer kids and more free time, uh, you know, people would be on the forums all day and just like post all the time. And like, you know, you could, right. you could count on rapid response. But I think as we've all, as we all know and have experienced on a daily basis at this point, um, communicating online can lose a lot of nuances, especially mm-hmm. in forum posts, especially in Slack. Um, mm-hmm. You know that, that sly comment that in the real world, I know you were being a little bit sarcastic because there was a bit of a wink there. In the forum, it comes off as well just you're belligerent you're being, or you're belligerent being a jerk. Or, or, you know, or, I, I take it the worst possible way because I've been having yes. a really crappy day and yeah, uh, I can't see you to understand uh, the, the nuances of what you said, right? And also, I think the other challenge is, is it can be shifty. So not in a like, oh, you're being sneaky sort of way, but in a three people have a conversation, they're riffing on each other back and forth. The person who hasn't been on the forum for a couple of days comes in, they add some ideas and, and maybe their ideas don't really necessarily gel with the thing that you talked about earlier. And then other people come in and they riff on those ideas. And so it can be very slow motion and, and kind mm-hmm. of messy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is always very messy unless it just automatically gels. I mean, that's happened, right? We've had other conversations where yep. it's all obvious. We know what we want to play next. Right. Um, but that doesn't always happen. And so in these cases when you're kind of in this influx is with the hardest part to get the team to come together and figure out the team, like the, <laughs> the group, yeah, the right? group. Yep. Um, but I think we've all been, we've both been on teams in it where you, you suffer from similar problems, like getting the team yeah. together, getting that group cohesion, getting through the storming part of forming that team and getting to the point where, okay, yeah, we're all actually in agreement. Yep. So I think where I'm leaning towards is the in-person brainstorming, which in this case would be probably video conferencing. Cause I don't think, um, we're at a position where we'd be able to meet in the real world. And so then still not great because it's video, but at least it's in real time. 
mm-hmm. you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe encourage people to raise their hand if they want to talk or whatever. So we're not just all talking over one of another, one another, because it's like five or six people. And between Paul, you know, with priming the pump with the polling and then, um, you know, the video conference that might get us to where we, where we need to be. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, that, that's what we did for, you know, the, the Sunday game. When we started, we we were like, we know that we won't always be here. So let's come up with a primary game. We know also know that right now, not everybody's here. So let's come up with a primary game for a group this size. And then we'll discuss it again. You know, once we get the ex the other people and it was interesting, it was right at that cusp. We all met in person for that first part. But then the second part, we had to all be separate. And so we did, uh, we basically jumped onto Discord and we all, we all talked video wise about, about the next set of stuff. I think the video conferencing will probably go a lot better than, you know, a form thread. Uh, I don't know that the totally lost it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, man. It's been a long day. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the video conference will, will go pretty well. The trick about the video conference is, we've all discovered is, you know, like you don't always have the nuance of being in person. It's better than forum posting, but it's still talking over each other, the audio software and having, even if you have headphones, you can't decode that in an intelligible manner. Uh, Whereas if you're having two or three discussions in a living room, you can pick and choose which discussion you're listening to uh, pretty easily. It, it might be too late when our, once our audience hears this, but you know, this is a perennial problem. This this does not this does not go away after the first time you pick it. Yeah, and I think you know this will be something you know we can revisit in a later episode when we figure out what we do. And I mean, my, I get like I, I have the 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 benefit that we've all been together for a very long time, and so we also have the benefit we have an alternative game that like this is our alternate campaign. So we have one Sunday we're doing D anD D, and then this is the alt game, mm-hmm. and so. We know that that all game is going to be D&D, so that kind of satisfies that particular niche, which I think frees us up to play in different genres and different and different games. The other thing that I floated with the, with the group was, I think we've always benefited from trying these different games. And so, you know, experiencing that, like me going out and playing Fate or us as a group playtesting Battlestar Galactica when I was doing the review for sci-fi back in the day, like... When you have those games and you have those experiences, it changes the group a little bit. It opens up your mind. Like we've talked about this before with like Blades in the Dark, right? Like yep. it just breaks you out of your mold. And then even if you don't end up playing, say, Star Trek on a, on a weekly basis, there's, some, there's usually some little thing that you take from that game and end up playing. Yep. Right? yep. And you incorporate it somehow into your campaign because you're like, that was cool. We should do that. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, all, all the games are really a, a codified playing as kids right <laughs> pretending you're cops and robbers or whatever different people play differently and different games bring out fun in different ways you know um it wasn't until you know some of the story game stuff came out and and fate came out or, or spirit of the century initially and then uh savage worlds did several similar things I don't know the history of like when these things happened. They kind of all happened. They kind of all grabbed cool things from each other and, and knowingly and willingly did that. But I mean, that's why inspiration exists now in fifth edition is because of some of those things, even the more traditional games like D and D have 
benefited from other games. And so why can't we do that as players and, and GMs? Why don't we play other games every so often? Um, definitely read other games every so often and incorporate those into our favorite games, you know, um, and hack on those favorite games so that we have the most amount of fun that we can, possibly can. Right, exactly. And so I guess the other thing, the other approach that I haven't taken, and actually I think way back in, in the, the archives of the Fear the Boot podcast, I know that they did several episodes over the years about like the campaign template. And, like the idea here being like having like basically a worksheet as a way of kind of guiding the, the group through this conversation, because that's another option, right? Like having a sort of, a, if your group can benefit from some structure, right? And you're just mm-hmm. stuck having some sort of a campaign template and there's any number of different, you know, I, if people have suggestions, feel free to send them into us. Um, but I know that's like another option that I, I, I was into it a couple of years ago, but that's been a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. I have not yet gone back out and seen what's there, but I know there's any number of project products that are help, like if your group needs help walking through this, it helps, right? Cause it provides this template of, okay, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? So is that kind of like the concept of the social contract? Yes. I want this out of this game. Um, I want that out of this game. Not necessarily please everybody, but to take as much of that input as possible to create the campaign or decide on the campaign that is right. being played. And I think there, you know, there were some um, recently, I, I, I trying to remember several companies that actually published this. I think Monty Cook Games had published one. Um, but they were talking about like basically like safe gaming. I'm not probably using the right term, but the idea about how to have these guided conversations about what you're comfortable doing at the table. Yeah. Because like, some games, some role-playing games can get very edgy. Yes. And not everybody's comfortable with that. Yeah. There's so, a, there's a couple of, of them. Um, you know, there's, there's one concept called the X card uh, where, and this is less about setting up the game, but like while you're playing and it's used in, uh, in, con games a lot because some of those edgy games you may be sitting down for edgy but that edgy may go much further than you had wanted it to so like if if the game starts to drift into that area of something that you don't want to touch you know you can basically you know reach out and touch that x card that's in the middle of the table and no questions asked they will steer that that situation away from the thing that was upsetting you like if you've if you've been a a victim of sexual assault and the game starts to drift into that dark area and you're like i don't want to relive that thank you that's one of those things that's kind of tangentially related to what we're talking about right right and and i think it all ties back into the campaign consensus right so it's it's really understanding what it is if it, like the group achieving that hive mind if not quite yeah. hive mind then at least agreement <laughs> what yeah. is it we're shooting for so that because you know otherwise the game will just fall apart in a couple sessions or i mean the other thing that we've talked about in my group is that we are um we are serial long-term gamers right so a lot of times we get into a headset of like we're, we're a mind space of this is the game and we are going to play it for a year mm-hmm. but we don't actually have to play it for a year <laughs> You know, we could we could play it for three or, months. Right. 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 And, or just a session. Or just a session. But again, if if people came in thinking, wow, I love this idea. Let's play this until the heat death of the universe. And other people are like, ah, this was gonna be a double shot. Like you're right. not on the same page. Right. Yeah, that, that is topics, something that should be asked. <laughs> yeah, like the length of it, um, the tone of it. Like 
I could have I should have, you know, I made some assumptions. I think the whole group made some assumptions. The group before this last group, COVID really killed our meeting, but it was already kind of on the rocks because of other life stuff. We kind of didn't have a good game running. And part of the reasons we didn't actually talk about, you know, what all of us want out of the game. So when I started the, when we started the group, I started running and I was like, I want to run a supers game and I'm going to use the mythic D six system. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. It sounds like consensus, doesn't it? Right. But it's not (laughs) because a supers game can be so many different things. I wanted a justice league pretty old now, but the justice league cartoon show or the old teen Titans, you know, where it was, you know, kind of serious. It was still supers, maybe a little comedy, not a problem, but there are other people who came in with the idea that we're more goofy superheroes like plastic man or whatever. And then there were other people who came in who were more anti-heroes who had superpowers, but weren't necessarily good. And so (laughs) (laughs) we had like three or four different tones in the same game and it just didn't gel. And I think if we had talked about it before that game started of like, this is the game I would like to run. Are you okay with that? And if not, what do you guys want to run? What do you guys want me to run? You know, what sort of tone are we looking for? How long is it going to be? Et cetera. Having that discussion really, really helped. And unfortunately we didn't learn our lesson and you know, it's like, okay, well no one's really having fun with the supers game. I'm not really having fun running it. So why don't we, why don't we switch to another game? And, you know, another person was like, well, I'll run Earth Dawn. And we're like, yeah, we'd never really played Earth Dawn before. What's it like? And kind of gave us an example. And I think everybody kind of went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be just kind of D&D. But that's not what Earth Dawn is. And so we still had some people who were like, pretty serious some people who were kind of goofy we didn't have that consensus still right that there i think is the real cause for why that group kind of dissolved you know we're still friends but we just don't game right now i think if we do have that conversation if we do talk about gaming again we're gonna uh, i'm gonna insist on that conversation because if we try to game again and we don't have that conversation we're gonna end up with the same result Right, exactly. People not having the fun that they want to have. Yeah, and so that's part of our other conversation that we're going to need to have is once we even settle on our genre within science fiction, we've got cyberpunk, space opera, near future, high SF. Um, we've thrown in like an urban fantasy option, which you could mash up with cyberpunk to get Shadowrun. Um, so there's a, and even within those, there's so much. And so I yeah. think part of our conversation needs to be okay. We're doing space opera. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean Star Trek? Do you mean the expanse? Because those are two yeah. very different approaches to space opera, right? Are you yeah. talking more with a hard, you know, hard SF edge? Um, and then do the, you, what do are you, you mean? Fl- Tell me the series. Or do you mean Flash Gordon or Star Wars? Both of those are considered space right. opera too. You know, Star right, Wars, right. Star Wars and Flash Gordon, very different than the expanse. You know, I, I would be personally, I wouldn't have even, I, I would not have classified the expanse as a space opera, I would have classified that as more hard sci-fi. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely closer to hard SF. Um, 
And so, I th- but I think, you know, you it's got some aspects of that because you're starting to go out into the larger galaxy, right? You've mm-hmm. got wormhole travel, not to debate the, the definitions of, <laughs> of space opera, but truly, like if I'm coming in and I'm like, well, actually what I've gotten, but what I, I said space opera, but what I mean is the expanse. We just illustrated our problem. Right. right like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? There's laser guns. I want rail guns. Yeah, right? like you can't have high energy particle weapons. Are you kidding me? That's impossible. Okay, yeah. well, you may not be talking about space opera, <laughs> right? You know, and then there, then of course, there's like Babylon Five, Battlestar Galactica. Sci-fi is huge, and even even Battlestar Galactica. Do you mean new Battlestar Galactica? Do you mean yeah. Battlestar Galactica? Right, those are two very different right. approaches to space opera. Right, right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think right now you need to like basically go. Okay, what movies do you want to play? Right. Because I, I, you know, as gamers, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, you and your friends have watched a bunch of movies, TV shows, etc. It's like, what media can you liken it to that we all kind of, you, if you, 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 you figure out what language you need to speak, you know, and if you can speak in the language of media to get that across, that will probably help. Right, and I, and I think Star Wars, when you run Star Wars, you run Star Trek, the, the setting is already taken care of. These questions have answered. And there, cause there's nuances within that. Are you doing Mandalorian? Are you going, you know, the Clone Wars? Or, like, what, what approach are you taking? But a lot of the, the questions are answered because you've answered the, the overarching question. The style is Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, a, that's an area where we're going to need to think through it. And I like the idea of using media as a palette. Like, I'm going to pull from these different things. If you haven't read it, that gives you a little time to go out and do some homework. I think... This is the challenge we ran into with Numenera back in the day when we play tested that. We had run a couple of different sessions, and I personally, as the DM and as a player, was struggling with. It's a billion years in the future. There've been ten, like what nine civilizations that have risen and fallen. Um, you're living in the final civilization at the end of time. You could go so many different ways there, and mm-hmm. it was kind of mm-hmm. like the, the 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 paradox choice, like the the choice of paradox, uh, the paradox of choice. You have so many different options, you can't choose anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think being able to have build up that conversation, using media to help inform this. Oh, well, I was thinking more like Thundar. Right. Okay, cool. Right. Great. Now I can like recalibrate Numenera to like the style of game that we want to play. Yeah. So. Like even when you say like, I want to be in the aliens universe. Well, the movies there have very different tones as well. Be sure to narrow it down. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to do. I think we got a lot of stuff going on right now. We are so our group is experiencing the same uh, summertime challenges that I think many gaming groups, like you mentioned with yours, yep. um, people are are still going on responsible vacations, right? You know, so everybody's doing things in a you know safe way, but still, one way or another, you, you might want to be outside with your family. You might want to be doing things, especially after being cooped up all spring. Um, yep. So I think that's a challenge, and usually we get back into the swing of things in September. The kids go back to school extracurricular activities fall into like their familiar groove and then you can kind of get back into your regular headspace. Um, and so I expect, my hope would be that we can have the conversation in August and then hopefully that'll set us up for September. So, you know, if there's a, maybe there's a little bit of homework, people go and watch the movies, um, <laughs> especially if we're doing a homegrown thing. I think we, there's, there's definitely an itch that several of us have where we we're enjoying building things. And cool. so that's another trait to identify, right? Because if yep. people aren't interested in building things, then, you don't want to lose those people as part of the right part of the group. Right. Um, yeah. Like that's a, a big part of like the, the Dresden files role-playing game, you know, where you build the city that you're going to play in. And I think our group is usually traditionally hit a, 
a, a nice balance with those things. The people who get super excited in building out the world, so they do that. And it's usually a, a really cool collaborative exercise where we've had things called post fests, um, which uh, I think we stole okay. from the old Greyhawk listserv, where you know you'd say, "Here is this little known area of Greyhawk. Let's build it out." You start mm-hmm. a thread, and, and do we all just kind of build on that thread? Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing that I think we're missing that yeah. a number of us would like to get back into. So yeah, it's it's a challenging thing. We'd love to hear people's comments and thoughts on you know the challenges that you've experienced with achieving consensus within your gaming group. As you said, David, it is a t- it is a problem we will have, a challenge we will have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for all time, and it can be very fun, but it can done wrong. It can also be cause a lot of strife. So yeah, opinions are welcome. Different groups deal with it differently. Some groups just know, you know, and some groups, you know, especially groups that are just coming together, you know, you have to have a lot more discussion. Um, cause you, you, you don't, you don't have that back history to, you know, everyone doesn't have that back history to kind of lean on and go, yeah, if he's saying star Wars, I know what he means, you know? So, yeah. And there are some, there are some groups for whom, the DM is God. I mean, like the, the, this is the re, this is the DM's responsibility, or this is the game master's responsibility. I am yep. here to play. I am not interested in world building, and so you tell me what game it is we're playing. I will be there. Yep. Right. I think the challenge is is that even then, though, I think there is that there sounds are always like, unstated expectations. <laughs> yeah, and and that sounds like another topic as well. Is like you know, is the GM the one that should be doing all that? They can certainly. Um, but the, should they, how much of that load should be put on the GM shoulders or how much of that, I hesitate to call it power, but that's the only word that's coming up. How much of that power should the GM have over the entire group? Right. Right. Yeah. Something we could talk about in the future. Sounds like an excellent topic. (laughs) If you want to give us feedback, if you want to give us your own stories, that's what I'm trying to get across here. I love talking with Ken. Partly why we're doing this is to, you know, talk with each other, but we also want to talk with you out there. You've subscribed, so obviously know how to uh, get to our website, I would hope. We'll put it in the show notes as well, but it is layerofsecrets.com. Give us some comments, let us know, and we will talk with you again soon.